chapter 10, verse 13 of Paul's first letter to Corinth, to the church there, and to the saints, and to us. There hath no temptation taken you. But such as is common to man. Just pause and just know there are temptations all about you. It doesn't say you're not going to have temptation. It just means that this is ordinary. It's common to all of us. No one lives without it. No one escapes it. It's going to be there. No one, no one can, maybe I should say it this way, no one can free themselves from it. It's common to everybody. Doesn't matter if this is your first day in the presence of, of the Lord or if, you've, or if you've been here forever. But God is faithful. There's the key. I want to talk about God is faithful. He didn't disregard your state. Who will not suffer. God will not suffer you to be attempted above that you are able. Now I'm looking around at the body of Jesus Christ, but I want to tell you, not everybody is at equal levels. Some have gone through some trials and now you've built up a little more faith and some you're going through now. All right. It's specific for you. Here's the word. The specific, you got to be in the word. But whatever comes, whatever temptation comes, with it, with the temptation, God will also make a way for you to escape so that you are able to bear it he's not going to let it crush you and ruin you and destroy you he's going to make a way of escape and I submit there are people in this house you've come here but you didn't know this place was your way out I'm not saying it with arrogance or pride I'm just saying it with confidence in the Holy Ghost you were in a bad way, but you found your way to the house of God. It's your way out. Yes. All right. I struggle with my sermon title. It's just, it's not really good. I wanted to have a better sermon title. It's not really even catchy. In fact, I would just tell you, I reserve the right to change it multiple times while I'm preaching. I don't even want to repeat it. In fact, don't even put it up on the board. I'm going to preach the word. We'll have consensus tomorrow night at business meeting what the title ought to have been the day before. And that's what we'll vote on. Amen. Put your Bibles down. Turn off your phones. Lift up. 
a hand or two to the Lord and just say, I love you. I'm worshiping you. I'm grateful. I want to feel you. I want to hear you, Lord Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. I surrender. I worship. I adore you. I lift you up, Lord. Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Brother Zach, Sister Lacey. Amen. You may be seated. I thank you for standing. I will be considerate of your time. I wonder about all of our lives. If God's way is found in us. When I look back and there are times when I do. I see how good that the Lord was in the moments when I was unsure. Maybe it's a flaw unique to me, but I would surmise that many of us often walk with uncertainty, even in the will of God. I need you to hear me, all young people and young adults and maybe possibly even young married people, people that are new to the, to the Lord and maybe even to this church. You can walk with the Lord, led by Him, and still feel uncertain about the path you take. It's common to us. Because His way is not always clear. In fact, the writer would say that even now we look through a glass darkly. Can't see it all. It's a cloudy mix. The exodus of the Bible was exactly that, an exodus. They left Egypt behind. They did not know where they were going, just getting away, getting out. God was leading them. In consideration of 430 years of their bondage, they did not know the surrounding territory that had not been out of the borders. They were not privy to the location of their enemies or to the terrain that would confront them when they left Egypt. They're at the mercy of Moses and indeed the leading of the Lord when they left Egypt. The tenth plague had wrought its final havoc on the homes of every bloodless door. The wailing could be heard in the palace and in the field alike. Did you know that even the cattle stood atop their lifeless calves and moaned? The firstborn died in every place. And finally, at the moment of their deliverance, the iron grip of this Egyptian king was loosed and he ordered the children of Israel out of his land. They were ready to go. Their bags were packed, their sandals were on their feet, and they had gathered the wealth of Egypt on carts and took with them the bounty of the ages. And now God is giving direction through the voice of Moses and we read an insight that they did not have at the time. They did not know. Here's the scripture. And it came to pass when Moses, I'm sorry, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. 
For God said, lest preadventure the people repent when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. The children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And that's a, that's a key phrase there. In fact, you almost can't even see what that word means. It was, it was an armament. They were equipped with armor, swords. He led them the direct route to the Canaan land was along the Mediterranean coast to Palestine, which would have been a journey of maybe only two weeks, maybe. Even shuffling along three million people, it would only take them two weeks at the most, maybe. But God knew that if they took the shorter route, the direct route, they would have faced an enemy they were not ready to fight. The people had been trapped by force all these centuries. Preparation for deliverance did not include spears and arrows and chariots. Their preparation entailed a lamb and putting blood on the outside of their doorpost and the door frames. And eating the lamb inside. Their preparation was almost negligent. They stood by and watched the destruction of the land of Egypt. The plagues had wrecked the land and crops. Locusts had eaten every green thing in sight. Most of their animals had already died. The bodies of the Egyptians were still recovering from the physical suffering wrought upon them from the plagues. The people of Israel mostly watched from afar besides. With each plague came more beatings from their taskmasters. They were pressed to build more constructions and buildings to make more stones of clay. Pharaoh had ordered the removal of straw, but demanded the same quality and quantity as before, and then he raised it. The people of Israel were reeling from the heavy oppression of their masters, all bound up by unseemly demands. The crack of the whip did not cease. They labored long days and grew weaker with each passing plague. No one had time to learn how to fight or defend themselves. There are no scriptural references or verses that speak of such a thing. They had no military training. They had no practice shooting a bow. No classes on wielding a sword. They had not shielded or understood what a spear was or how it was launched because they had no practice. So the day that God intervened and set them free, the day that Moses lifted up his voice and the angel of death passed over them and visited the rest, they were quick to leave, but they did not know where they were going. They didn't know the way. I just want to pause and say, but God knew the way. I want to pause in your thinking for a moment tonight. Scratch everything out that you've been doing all week and what you're going to do and just know this. God knows the way. God knows the way. Job said, I don't even know where I'm going, but I know you know the way, Lord. I wonder if you believe that here tonight. Are you living like you believe that God knows the way? I'm asking everybody, are you worshiping? Are we worshiping like we believe that God knows the way? I may not see it, but God sees it. I may not know it, but God knows it. I may not understand it, but I'm leaning on the goodness of the Lord. Lean. I'm leaning on him. I'm learning to lean on him. 
That's why I want you to do right now. Just lean forward. Come on, just lean forward. Come on, everybody. Just lean forward. Just lean up on the edge of your seats. I want you to lean into the Lord. I want you to stop thinking about everything you think is right and lean on the Lord. It's time for you to stop the thinking about what you think is right, what you think is wrong. You need to get inside the Lord. you got to lean on him. Come on, put your hands up in the air and say, I'm learning to lean on you. You don't need to know the way. You just need to know the God who knows the way. I'm asking the question. I know we just got done worshiping the Lord, but I'm asking you tonight, do you believe that you are serving a God that knows the way, that even though you don't know the way, he knows the way. He's not giving up on you. He knows exactly where he wants you to be. You got to lean into him and lean onto him and say, I know that he knows. I don't know, but he knows. It's a problem among us. We want to know everything God knows. We can't handle everything God knows. Uh, all right. This is a good time to reply. Amen. Uh, I'll hold up my glasses as a cue when to say. I hold them on this side when you say, woe is me. <laughs> Some of you just say, I know who he's talking about. I'm going to tell you what, God knows where you're going. You didn't know where you're going. God knows where you're going. You don't think he's prepared the way. God's ordered your steps. The steps of a righteous man are order the Lord. And if you don't qualify as a righteous man, come on, get in. It's time to get in. It's time to get righteous. It's time to do the right. Righteousness is just doing the right thing. And God knew when he brought them out that the journey was not the one that they might want to be on. He was not confused on the geography that he had already created by his own voice. Mm -hmm. He knew the way of the Philistines was closer to the promise. He knew that it would only take a few weeks from Goshen to Canaan, but God took them the long way around because it was not about the distance. It was about their ability to make it. And he's more interested in you making it than he is about your pleasure getting there <laughs> he's more interested in you making it than he is about your comfort while you're getting there because when you get there you're going to say it's worth it all it's been worth it all every high and every low every mountain every valley it's going to be worth it all when we see Jesus I'm provoking you. Uh, I know that. Just hang with me a little bit now. Mm -hmm. There they are. All their preparation. No time. No one to train them. No practice. God knows where he's taken the people and they just don't know. He's not going to lead you into a place that will ever destroy you. And even when you find yourself in places that he didn't lead you, but you hurt yourself, he's still faithful to bring you out. 
The danger is if you think you're able, when you're not able, he knows what you can handle and what you cannot. And in the journey, there's a lot of lessons that are taught that the shorter, shorter route will never teach you. In the long journey, I stand here, we all stand here in a time when songs and films and pursuits revolve around the quickest way. People want to make it quick. They want it all now. Desperate for instant success and instant fame and instant gratification. The church itself has been drawn into this vain path as it shuns pivotal seasons. As if every season is a time of harvest, it is not. There are times when we have to plant and water and wait and be still and listen and grow. Maybe even be, be patient with God. There's a time of rest when we learn to trust. And here it is again when we have to lean into him. And lean into him. Because we don't have any understanding to help ourselves. You lean on the Lord because you can't hold yourself up. I wish we had some true confessions in this place. Pardon me, I grew up in Pentecost and I know all the games and all the personas and all the facades and all the people who act like they got it all together and they don't have it all together. I want to tell you right now, it's time for you to lean in the Lord and lean on the Lord and don't think that you know how to get out and don't think you know the way and you have to say, Lord, I have all my trust in you. I don't even want to consider my own path. just like to pause and give him praise because I believe he knows the way that I take. I just want to say thank you, Lord. I know you know where I'm going. I don't even really know where I'm going. I thought I did a long time ago, but you led me a long way. I don't know why, but when I look back, I realize I could not have handled all those things. But I'm grateful, Lord. You know the way. You knew the way I take. Trust in the Lord and all your ways and lean not to your understanding. That means I got to lead to his understanding. I know that he's taking me the right way. The numbers are a little skewed, but best we can tell, a little over 35%. Now, really, it's probably 50%, but, but 35% for sure, for certain. 35% of the people who win the lottery file bankruptcy within five years of winning the lottery. They go broke. You see, these people often come from environments that never taught them how to handle even their own paycheck. And they were always in the red and had more muff than money. They were people who knew nothing of sound stewardship. And thus, they'd spend excess of money. They didn't have discretionary income, but they bought lottery tickets. And when they won, very few people win. In fact, you have a higher chance of being struck by lightning than winning the lottery. In fact... In about a million, uh, I forget what it was, a million, 10 million, 67 people die from getting struck by lightning. You have a better chance of getting struck by lightning than winning the lottery. Praise God for getting struck by lightning. I don't know really where that goes. <laughs> uh-huh. Just a 
They won, but they lost in a blink. They rose to the top and then fell hard. Some of their children were laid to waste. Families split apart. Instant winners. One of the winners had, had a granddaughter. She was a straight-A student before he won the lottery. They didn't have money. She went to school on time. She was a straight-A student. But when Grandpa won, he created a trust fund for her that afforded her a weekly sum of money every week, no matter if she spent the whole thing. The next week, she got another check. And it led her into the wrong crowd and what she never did, she started to do. She picked up a little marijuana and marijuana led to cocaine and cocaine led to all kinds of illicit drugs and then crime. And the news report was that they found her body wrapped up in a black trash bag, cold, dead. Her family had gained so much, but they said, we weren't ready for it. Too much, too soon. The numbers have changed in the last 30 years, of course, but perhaps it's due to the, the players, the age of them. But in the National Basketball Association, the NBA, because they're younger than they were before, I suppose, I'm not sure. Many of them do not finish college. They're one and done. One year and then they move on to the pros if they're that good. Or maybe overseas. Or maybe to the G League as I'm reading. But now, roughly 55 to 60% of NBA players go bankrupt two years after they leave the court. They walk off the court and 24 months later, the millions of dollars that went through their hands is gone. They have nothing to show for it. They end up selling their fancy watches to pay the bills. And by the time the two years are up, they have nothing to show for what they just gained. And most of them make more money sitting on the bench than starters in other leagues. Too much, too soon. They couldn't handle it. No wisdom, no understanding, poor decisions, gifted in one area but without understanding in everything else, without prudence in another, and it devastated their lives. The statistics vary from sport to sport and from profession to profession. But the overarching principle, and I could go on, the overarching principle, it's true. In all of these areas, whether in business or in sports or in lottery winners, it's all the same. They were not ready. They lost their game. They failed in their instant success. They did not have the root system to support their newfound branches. And they fell over. I know a man who preached his first sermon. It was a mighty sermon, he told me. He was used so mightily in the Lord. But he did not know how to temper that anointing. He did not know how to live after his sermon. And he never experienced the same thing again. Because after the sermon and after the anointing and after God uses you in whatever area of your life and your ministry, there is another reality that you must face. It's called life. Let me just say another thing. It's called spiritual warfare. And it's going to test your most recent triumph. I don't care what your most recent, recent triumph was. Tomorrow, there's spiritual warfare waiting to fight you because of what you just did today. Whatever we have, if the better the service, the more powerful the anointing, I know the devil's coming after me next week. 
They're equal. They're polar, but they're equivalent. Think of it. The one person that could have disturbed the prophet Elijah the most, the one person, perhaps the only person, was Jezebel. Someone came with a word from Jezebel. He didn't even hear her directly. Elijah calls down fire from heaven. He killed 850 false prophets, half of which served that wicked queen. God gave the prophet a supernatural answer. Fire falling. It consumed the sacrifice. It licked up the dust. The Bible said the sky then opened up. He heard the sound of abundance of rain. And the rain fell and broke a multi-year famine. Can you imagine? But the voice of Jezebel devastated the prophet. And it put fear in his heart. So that he ran to a cave and wished he would die. And if it happened to that man on that mountain, don't think you can handle anything and everything that comes your way. And for certain, here it is. Don't despise the long journey. The long journey might actually be the only path that's going to save you. Uh, the long way around will be the way that you are founded and developed and constructed and proved. David was anointing as a young man, a young teenager. Maybe he was 13 or 14. We're not really sure. He was, he was anointed. There's, there's, there's argumentation as to when he was anointed. But we know he was in his teen years to be the next king. But when the prophet Samuel anointed him, his father didn't usher him off to the throne room, but he sent him back to the field to tend sheep. Your anointing does not guarantee your immediate position. Cool out. I know you're endowed with powerful gifts. Cool down. God's got a path he wants to take you. I know you've gotten out of bondage and slavery and all kinds of mess and all kinds of addictions. I'm glad you're set free. But don't despise the long journey. He knows what he's doing. He knows where he's taking you. He's got a plan in mind. I know you think this is a better way. You'll die in that way. You'll live and learn in the other way. I wonder if anyone's receiving the word tonight. See, the moment of your call, your offering, your gift does not assure you of a sudden entry into whatever place you are called. Because David went back doing what he had been doing before he knelt in front of Samuel. The difference was in the anointing. Yes, now he was anointing. It spoke of David's future, but it did not speak of God's timing. Are you getting this now? Don't get out in front of God, ladies and gentlemen. Young people, hear me. Don't get out in front of God. He knows exactly where he wants you to be. David was anointing not not one time, but three times. And finally, on the third time, when years and years had passed, finally the whole land rallied around him. He was proving himself before the Lord and before his band of indebted men. He had to learn. David had to learn how to live in caves and tents and among the enemy. Even fainting madness once. He had to learn how to honor a corrupt leader before he was allowed to wear the crown himself. Hmm. Uh Uh-oh. I know a lot of folks who have left the path God put them on. Because they thought their way around God's divine order. David would have destroyed the nation. He destroyed himself had he taken the scepter the day that Samuel had anointed him. 
He was on a long journey, and because of it, he was saved. Even when he stumbled and failed, he knew how to get back up because he took the long way. Joseph had dreams. They were God-given dreams. God gave them. They were prophetic in nature. How many people have told me, God gave me something. That's great. Hold on to it. Oh, no, God gave it to me. God gave it to me. Wait a second. God-given dreams. They spoke of Joseph's appointment, his place among the family. One of them had even included the position over his own father. He told his dad, you're going to bow down before me too. Maybe he should have just kept them to himself. He was young, excited. Never imagined anyone to hate him for dreams that God gave. Naive. Talked a lot. Told everybody about his ambitions, what God was going to do in his life. You ever been around somebody like that? God's just been talking to me all day. He's been talking and talking. You, God's going to use me. God's going to use me. Cool down, man. Uh-huh. Yeah. Going telling all of his brothers what God gave him. Had no sense of where they were. He didn't even know they couldn't handle it. They already was angry with him. They were all the sons of the despised wife. He was the son of Rachel. Their father already treated him with favoritism. And they were already set at odds through the same. So when Joseph decided that now would be a good time to express how they would one day all bow down before him. Be his servants. When he alluded to the dream that he would one day be their master. It showed extreme immaturity. Joseph was an immature young boy wearing the favor of a coat with many colors. Fleshly, arrogant. He's not working with his brothers in the field. He comes from the confines and the conveniences of his father's house. It's a position of comfort. Go read it in your Bible. Joseph walks up with pride. You can see him afar off because he's bright. His coat gives him away. God was true. There was coming a day when, Mo- when Joseph was going to rise to the head of Egypt. He would one day wear the robe of royalty. He would one day embrace the signet ring of Pharaoh. And no one would be above him except that king. He would one day be seen as the savior of Egypt and that of the whole known world. He would walk with wisdom and boldness and understanding. But the dream did not give him that authority. It was just the door that led him into the school of higher learning. Oh, man. I don't know. I, you know what? I'm... I'm sorry, I just got to say to myself, amen, I'm feeling good. I think there's a song like that. Yeah. Joseph had to learn how to be a servant before he had the opportunity to become a master. That way, he would have, have, he would have compassion on those who had nothing. Hear this church now. We're not leading anybody until we learn how to serve everybody. He had to learn how to take orders from a man who didn't care about him before he was given the authority to pass out decrees to other people. That way, he would be measured in his delivery and consider the effect on families and homes and marriages and children before he made an order. He had to learn how to be falsely accused by Potiphar's wife so that he would not falter in his own truth-telling so that he could know the horrible effect of an accusation and its cousin, the innuendo. That way, when he finally rose to prominence, he would do justly and love mercy and indeed he would walk humbly before the Lord. 
He had to learn how to rise and fall and then grow in whatever place God put him. Joseph spent two years in prison for a crime he did not commit, ladies and gentlemen. But he had to learn there how to have a good spirit and a clean heart, all the while serving time for a thing he never did. Well, you ain't putting me in that position, Pastor. I ain't going to prison. It was a journey orchestrated by the hand of God, designed by God, so that when the day came and Egypt needed him and the masses stood in line to offer not only their land and their, and their crops and their, and their cattle and their sheep and their money, but then they ended up offering themselves as slaves. Joseph would know how to handle it and still keep his faith in God. He had to take the long journey without shortcuts or bypasses so that he did not get lifted up in himself or in his own authority and forget that it was God who put him there. And finally, Joseph had to take the long journey 22 years so that when he finally met his brothers he did not kill them where they stood without the journey ladies and gentlemen who knows what Joseph would have done the blood of his brothers on his hands because he had never learned the heart of forgiveness 22 years had to trust God it, it made him, it removed all retribution. 22 years of walking by faith crushed all thoughts of hatred and anger until Joseph finally was able to say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I tell you, those are the words of a person who takes the long journey. Too much too soon is a killer. Long road will tipple your spirit, tipple your spirit, even if you don't think you need it. It'll form your heart, even when you don't think there's anything wrong with your heart. It'll rearrange your thinking, even when you feel fine about what you're thinking. Because God has your future in mind. He's working on a promise that he cannot give you until you go the long way. Because he doesn't want you to die in the way. God led them to the wilderness. God did that, ladies and gentlemen. God led them to the Red Sea. He could have led them down another path, but he wanted them to live and not die. And he led them to it and through it. Watch this now. Exodus 13 and 18. It comes from the New Living Translation. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt, I'm quoting, like an army ready for battle. They were harnessed. Huh. They are fresh from generational bondage, but they have gold and clothes and weapons of war. They look like an army ready for battle. They felt good about themselves. They had the appearance of fighting men, swords clanging along their shin guards, daggers thrust into their waistbands, all of it like an army ready for battle, but they had no experience. They had the tools, but they didn't know the, have the know-how. They were equipped, but they were not prepared. I tell you, the sword does not make a soldier. Just because you own a Bible doesn't mean you're ready for the battle. So now this is a good part to... to advertise Wednesday night life groups so that you can be prepared for the battle by 18 years old after 6 years of Bible quizzing I memorized the Pentecostal doctrine 1023 verses in the book of Acts 
the book of Mark, the book of John, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd, Thessalonians, about 5,000 verses in six years, and I quoted all of them. But just because I had memorized them, I did not know how to use them. I quoted the book of Acts to Sister Huttiger. I quoted the last verse to the front verse. But I didn't know what it meant. Just because you have a Bible and memorize some scriptures doesn't mean you know what you're doing. That's why you got to get in the church. One thing if I desire to the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and to inquire. I've got to learn. Well... It's got to be better than that. I'm just going to put them on and be blind here. I'm going to tell you what we need. We need an old-fashioned douse of commitment and trust in God. We need to get rid of our stinking thinking and say, I really don't know how I'm going to make it, but I know you know how I'm going to make it. I'm not walking in fear. It might be the long way, but I'm learning something on my path. I'm not giving up, even though I struggle a little bit. I know you're preparing something for me. It's greater than where I am. Hear me. I want you to be anointed, but I want you to learn how to use it. That's right. That's right. I'm praying right now for spiritual gifts. In the name of Jesus, let spiritual gifts be cast and be endowed by the Father of lights right now on everybody. Raise your hand if you want a spiritual gift. God, give us spiritual gifts. Let us have the nine supernatural gifts of the Spirit. I pray for it right now. I pray for the word of prophecy. I pray for interpretation. I pray for the word of faith. I pray for the word of wisdom. I pray for the word of knowledge. I pray for the gifts of healing and the gifts of miracles. I pray it. Did you pray it? Now I pray, God, teach me how to use it right so they don't destroy me. I don't know too much about the story, but I do know a man spent hours in prayer at a church. He spent a long time in prayer. Every day went to the church and prayed hours and hours and hours. But there came a moment when his pastor tried to give him instruction and he shook his head and said, no, no, I don't know if I'm going to believe that or receive it. I'll go to the Lord in prayer before I listen to you. And eventually that man who had spent so much time in prayer left the church and backslid altogether. How? Because he didn't know how to use it. I'm not preaching in any other church. I'm preaching to our church. I'm not talking to anybody's church. I'm talking about the Holy Ghost tongue talkers. People that have the Holy Ghost, you're spirit filled. You got powerful spirits, and God's moving on you. You you have a word for somebody. You you have a you have a divine appointment in your brain. You're you're feeling God has done it. Now you just have to have temperament to know when to use it. And the feeling and understanding when you should approach someone. Because the right word at the wrong time will kill the hearer. I've got about 45% of you right now. I'm bad with statistics though. I might have been overshooting that. 4.5, I think that's what I've got. 
All I know, this is the word of God for this church right here, right now. He's taking you a long way. Don't live in fear. Don't be afraid. Don't get discouraged because of the way. He knows where he's taking you. If he'd have brought you that other way, you'd have been happy for a little while, but then you'd have faced a battle you weren't prepared. You'd have got on a sword, but you wouldn't know how to use it. You'd have been confronted, but you're not ready for the, for the things that are going to come and the questions that are going to come. So get in the word and get in Bible class and get in the church and make a commitment. Because a Sunday inspirational move and sermon is not going to teach you what you need to know about the book. I'll tell you what you ought to do. You ought to sign up for Larry Wallace's class and go through exploring God's word. Is that what you do? Is that what it is? He's got a chart there. You got these pictures. You can look at the pictures. If you get hungry, you can just go over and eat stuff out of the refrigerator. That's what I would do. I don't know. I'll tell you what you ought to do. You ought to sign up for a life group and get in the house of God on Wednesday night and spend the best hour that you'll ever have in your life. Because when you understand what's going on, then it puts joy in your Sunday. I'm looking around and realizing the reason why people give up on their Sunday is because they made no investment in their Wednesday. Uh oh. Uh oh. And they're arguing about things that are in the Bible, but they didn't know they were in the Bible. So they're saying, God doesn't care about that. Oh, really? And where did you hear that? From the devil? Or from your own brain because you took the short way and you didn't know that God was wanting to teach you something. I'll tell you, I made, I made the statement to Brother Alex before he got married to his sweet wife. I don't even know how he worked that out, but praise God he did and I married him. You ought to, the Bible says when you find a wife, you found a good thing. You ought to stand up and clap because you found a good thing. Clap for your wife. No, no, just you should stand up, Alex. Look at her and start clapping at her. Thank you. <laughs> uh-huh. Before he was married, he was a little flaky. I said, Brother Alex, you've got to be committed. And I said, give me 10 years, 20 years. And when you look back, you won't be the same. And I'm standing here to say, I already see spiritual growth because the long way is going to teach you things that nothing else can teach you. Elder, if I had known then what I know now, I'd have the knowledge, but I would not have the experience. What you need, you cannot read on the internet. You got to go through some pain. 
You got to go through some struggle. You got to get up on Sunday when you don't feel like going to church. You got to say, I'm going to bring this filthy carcass. I'm going to plant my filthy carcass on the pew. I'm going to worship God when I don't feel like it. I'm going to love my brother when I don't want to love him. I'm going to engage in the church when I don't feel like anybody loves me. I'm going to get there and give when I have no money. Hey! Okay, go. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. See, the short way, you'll never see the Red Sea. But if you read the Psalms and you read all of what Paul's writings and you read all the prophets, their whole basis was on the Red Sea. Remember the Red Sea. It's the impossibility. You see, the short way has no impossibilities. There's something else the short way doesn't have. You see, if you walk down the Mediterranean coast and you get over into Canaan, here's what happens there. Uh, there's no mountain Sinai. There's no high mountain called Sinai. And it's at Sinai that the law was given. You see, all the people who want to cut all the corners and say, I can live the way I want to live. I don't need anybody. You'll never get the tablets of stone. Because the short way never teaches you what God wants you to do. So go ahead, take your own way. Not only are you going to be left out of the miracle, but when you get over the miracle, <laughs> you'll never know how God wants you to live. Oh, I'm preaching the word right now to you. I'm preaching the word of God to you. I will tell you, embrace whatever way he takes. You just say, I don't know where I'm going, but I know you know where I'm going. And when I get there, when I get up against an impossibility, you're going to show yourself to be the God that you are. When I get over, I will not despise it because I know I'm just a few weeks away from Sinai. You're going to teach me your law. You're going to put it in my heart. Hear me. There is a journey that God has taken you on. Don't despise the journey. Because too much too soon is going to mess you up. Huh? So I say, if you're in a struggle, thank God. If you're in a hard way, thank God. If you're up against an impossibility, I wonder who's in this house. If you're up against an impossibility, you say, now it's your turn, God. Only you can part the waters. Keep your sword, but let the Lord fight the battle. Because you don't even know how to fight your own battle. Oh, Lord. I just feel the Holy Ghost right here. I just, I'm thanking you, Lord. I'm, I'm thanking you all the times. I look back and I thought, Lord, how are you going to bring me through this? And, and Lord, why did you bring this? And then I had to lean on God. I had to lean into God and not my own understanding. I had to lean on his wisdom and not my own wisdom. And when I got through it and I looked back, I said, aha, now I know. But when you're in it, oh yeah. Well, when you're in it, you may be like some of those people of Israel and just blame all the leadership in your life. <laughs> they want to pick up stones and kill Moses and then they make up lies. We were better off in the world. The children of Israel said we had onions and leeks and all the bread we could eat. That was a lie. 
The good old days, they were so good. Stop lying. They were not good. They were not good. What are you talking about? They were good. They were not good. Right now is good. It's good standing in, bet- in between the devil and an impossibility. The army behind you and the water in front of you. You've never been in a better place than when you were up against an impossibility. Now you get to see what God can do when you submit to the Lord and let him lead you. I know you don't rejoice about that. I know you don't rejoice. But when you make it over, when you get over, you will rejoice. I have a prophetic word for you. If you just stay with the path, there's going to come a day you're going to shout and rejoice and say, I did not know the way that I took, but he ordered my steps.